Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Hi, Church. My name's Theo. It's great to be here with you today for the beginning of this challenge, Pray Without Ceasing. And uh, I'm not sure exactly how you feel about us embarking on a challenge called Pray Without Ceasing, but I understand that for many people, prayer can be a tricky um, or even a bit of a daunting subject. For some people, they associate prayer with times of need. And so prayer has this association of, you know, prayer is the thing that I do and I'm really in a bind. So we think about (laughs) prayer. We don't really associate it with the good times. We associate it with the bad times. That's when I actually get on my knees and pray. Or for other people, you know, if you've been in the church for a long time, you might associate prayer with boredom because you've found yourself stuck in, you know, these sort of seemingly never-ending prayer meetings and, uh, and so... So your association with prayer isn't necessarily a good one. But I I really want to believe that for all of us through this challenge over the next four weeks, that we will come out of it with a revitalized understanding of prayer and that it will be something that we find life-giving rather than life-taking because prayer is the thing that we were designed for because it is the place in which we connect with God. And that's, of course, why we were made was to be in relationship with God. So what I I want to give you today is um, a very simple structure for prayer. And this is a way that you can engage with prayer daily. And it really is important that you that you try to engage with prayer daily because if you, if prayer becomes a, a part of your daily routine and something that you actually do, you know, wholeheartedly and um, and not just tick off a box, so that you actually do wholeheartedly, then you'll be amazed how it can actually change you and change the world around you. So if you have uh, something to write on, a piece of paper or your phone or um, or your computer or something, I would really love you to um, write this down because it's going to be something that you can take with you to help you with prayer. This is a, a very simple acronym that I picked up many years ago, and some of you might know it, and it it has really helped my prayer life. I've never forgotten it, and I find it very hard to escape, and I've just decided this is just, you know, this is my default way of praying. And it is simply the word ACTS, A-C-T-S. So I want you to write A-C-T-S on a piece of paper, and then, uh, or you can write it down on the piece of paper, and then I'm going to explain what, what each of the letters stand for. And I'm actually going to lead you through this prayer. That's what we're going to be doing today. I'm going to be leading you through this ACTS prayer. So the first part is A, and that stands for adoration adoring God, adoration for God. That's how we begin this prayer. It says in Psalm 95 verse 6, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So every day you might bow down. You might get on your knees in prayer. Or you might just take a um, you know a, a spiritual personal posture which reflects that. Actually, you know, if you kneel down or you bow down, you, you, you're really... Physically, you know, you're putting your all before whatever it is that you're kneeling down to or bowing down to. So, you know, even if you're sitting up or standing up, um, it, it's, you know, the, the idea that we're getting here is centering our all around God. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. So what we see here is that when we come before God in adoration, we're coming before God as the 
creator. And if you actually have a regular practice of, of, of stopping and, and, and before anything else, just taking a moment to stand before the creator, you'll be amazed how much that changes you on the inside because God is the God who created the entire universe. To have a moment where you actually stop and contemplate what that actually means, that the stars are just the flinging out of his fingertips. And you think about who this God must be if he actually created all of it, as the scripture tells us, then that changes you on the inside. It's that experience of awe that we all need. And and, and so many of us are so desperately lacking moments of awe in our life. And those moments of awe can happen to you on the daily if you actually begin prayer in a moment of adoration and just adoring God as the creator of all things. Have you had an experience like that before in your life where you've stood before something really awe-inspiring? The thing that comes to mind for me is Rome. I went to Rome a couple of years ago and just walking around Rome, anyone who's been to Rome knows what I'm talking about because you're surrounded by these colossal buildings, well, the Colosseum, but you're surrounded by these colossal buildings. But not only are they are they big, you know, you walk around just kind of looking at like a beautiful, ornate building after building in, uh, in these gorgeous uh, old streets, but also you marvel at the age of it, at the fact that some of these streets that you've been walking on, people have been walking on for thousands and thousands of years. And in a place like that, you actually get the sense that, you know, you're just one small part of a grand scheme. And it can actually, you know, the effect that, that it does have for people is that actually for once their, their minds are taken off themselves and onto something much bigger than themselves and it's actually a freeing experience. When was the last time that you had an experience like that where you stood in front of something that was incredibly big and incredibly old? And I don't, don't want you to, you know, look at your spouse sitting next to you on the couch. I'm not, I'm not asking you to be insulting. When, when was the last time you stood in front of something very big and very old and were awestruck. I want you to think about what that moment might be like for you because you know that feeling. That's actually the feeling that God invites us into when we stand before him as our maker in prayer. And that's how we should begin, in that moment of awestruck adoration of God as our creator. But as we see here, it says, here's our God. We are the people he watches over the flock under his care. So we stand before not just a God who is big, but a God who is our shepherd. We are the sheep and he is our shepherd. Why is that important? It's important because it means that we're not just standing in front of like a faceless kind of figure, some sort of spiritual being out there who, who is who's unknown. We're, we're standing in front of a God who is not only big, but he's also in control. It's like being led by a shepherd. You know, imagine the relationship between a sheep who is just a silly old sheep and a shepherd who actually knows where to go, knows the direction, and and they can actually trust the shepherd. See, if we don't regularly practice adoration, taking a moment to to adore God for who he is in his grandeur as, as the Lord over all things, we can quickly come to think deep down inside that we are God of our own lives if we don't have this practice of adoration and we start to think, well, I'm the, I'm the God of my own life. That's, that's our default way of thinking. And, um, you know, what's, what's it like to, to, to walk around thinking that you're the God of your own life? Well, it's really fun and uh, because, you know, you get to do what you want and you get to, uh, you get to be the, the master of your own domain. So 
being the God of your own life is really, really fantastic until it isn't. And that day will come when suddenly you realize that things have gotten beyond your control and you are so ill-equipped at the position of God. And it's in that moment that you realize it would have been so much better if I had have been able to regularly surrender my life over to the one who is the creator of all things, but not only the creator, the good shepherd, because when you don't do that, then suddenly the wolves will come and you will find yourself in a position where you've got wolves all around and you feel like a lost sheep. And you need that feeling of being back in the pasture with the sheep and with the shepherd. That's what that moment of adoration is, is coming back in and being like, okay, I can see the shepherd. And it's that feeling of, I'm not in control anymore. He's in control. And now I'm just free to be who I am. Because when we when we truly acknowledge God for who he really is, it actually doesn't deprive us. It actually allows us to be free to be who we really are. That's one of the effects of, of adoration, of acknowledging God for his, um, for his authority. But he, he's not just a shepherd who we have to go and find. You know, he, he's actually, the Bible describes him as the shepherd who goes out and finds finds us. He actually leaves the, the 99 to come and search the one. You might remember that that parable. So what we see here is not just a God who is big and is in, in control, but we see a God who cares. And that's what adoration is about fundamentally. Because we can hear a word like adoration and we think, you know, that it can make God seem like he's sort of a despot kind of thing, this this sort of egotistical ruler that we have to just, just kind of, you know, put up a, an image of in our bedroom or something like that. But that is the kind of thing that you might see in a dictatorship where there's a, a figure out there who everyone looks up to, but he doesn't know them and he doesn't care about, or she, I suppose, but let's face it, he doesn't care about them. Um, but that's not the relationship that we have with God. We, When we come to God in adoration, it's actually the relationship of a lover or a friend or a father, um, someone who actually comes to us first. This this word here in, in the psalm, the Lord, our maker, this word maker actually speaks less about God j- just being the creator and more about the fact that he made us for his purpose. He's actually created you and me to be in relationship. We are the people that he watches over, the flock under his care. So our response here is one of one lover to another. That's the moment of adoration that we come into, actually coming to this moment of care of someone who holds us, a shepherd who has protected us, and and a chance to actually think, well, you know, I'm here, and he has led me up until this moment, you know, reflecting back on the week that was, on the year that was, on your life that you've lived up to this point and seeing he's actually been there all along, the shepherd who's been guarding me all this way. So let's take a moment now just to come before God in adoration. I want to have a moment of silence. You might even want to write down something, some words of adoration on your, on uh, whatever it is you're writing on, or just to be silent before God, thinking of him as our creator, as our shepherd who guides us, and as our carer, the one who cares for us and loves us. Let's take a moment in adoration before God. We come now to the second letter of Acts which is uh, the letter C and stands for confession. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Blessed is the one who always trembles before God, but whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. 
When we come before God in confession daily, what we're saying to God is, is that I want to live your way, God, and not mine. That's what confession is about, is is about recognising that we have our own human fallen ways in which we are prone to operate. And we have to, on, on the daily, say, God, I don't want to operate in those ways. I want to operate in your ways. And that looks like confession. It looks like every day taking a moment to actually think back through um, the day that was and allowing the Holy Spirit to bring, well, let's face it, sometimes you don't even need to ask for, for God to bring these things to mind. They're just there if you'll take a moment just to be still and look them in the face. And we bring them before God in confession because the one who confesses and renounces their sins, as the proverb says, finds mercy. See, if we don't do this, we're not going to find mercy in our lives. In that moment, we acknowledge God's godness and our notness. He is God and, and we are not. So by virtue of that fact, it means that we have areas in which we still need to be refined and perfected. And that happens through a process of daily confession where we confess these things to God with an expectation that he will pour out his mercy upon us and allow us to become more and more like him as we journey forward. Now, if we don't do that, because you might go, well, I don't know that I need to confess, and it seems a little bit old-fashioned or a little bit religious, but when you say, I don't need to confess my sins, what you're essentially saying is that I'm God, (laughs) because you think, I've got nothing to confess. So you're saying you are completely holy and and, um, without fault and that there's nothing for you to work on, which, like I was saying in point before, being God, you know, is great until it isn't. Confession is another chance for us to recognize and acknowledge God for God and us for us and to bring that relationship into healthy order. So let's take a moment to confess. You might be bold enough to write some things down or just in your heart to, before God, think about the last 24 hours and think, are there any thoughts that I've had, any actions that I had, any ways that I've related with other people which haven't reflected you, haven't reflected Jesus, haven't reflected the love of God? Because those things are good to confess because it's a place in which you can experience the mercy and the transformation of God. Let's take a moment. The third letter in our acronym is T and it stands for thanksgiving. Psalm 118 verse 24 says, This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it every day, starting off the day. If you can start your day with prayer and getting to this point of thanksgiving and going, today is the day that the Lord has made and I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it, you'll be amazed how you change. And there is so much to be glad about. Think about your salvation. Think about the fact that God has called you. Think about the fact that you have your health, that you have loved ones around you, that God has placed you in a church like this. If you call the granary your home church, you have a fabulous church to be a part of and to thank God for. You have so many, I don't know your situation, but right now you can probably call to mind some things which you are very, very grateful to God for, very grateful for the situation that you have. And um, so often we just don't take the moment to, um, to think about those things, to be grateful for. There's so much if we'll just be willing to regularly stop and look for it. And, and so much of this is really about practice and about disposition. And, and 
setting ourselves up for the kind of person that we want to be. Do we want to be someone who has a heart disposition of gratitude in the future or do we want to become someone who is, is pessimistic? You know, I, I think about when I used to work at a news agency and we would have a lot of elderly people who would come in. I think of this one guy in particular and he was so pessimistic and I don't think he really travelled much outside of the couple of blocks that he lived in, but his granddaughter was having her 21st birthday and it was out in Orange and for weeks and weeks and weeks he'd been talking about it, saying, yeah, yeah, I've got this 21st coming up, you know, in Orange that I'm going to and it seemed like he was looking forward to it. And then finally the big day came when he went away for a couple of nights to Orange and he came back and, uh, and he came into the shop and I said, oh, so how was the, um, how was the trip? And he said, oh, nothing lined up. And I said, oh, what do you mean nothing lined up? Was there a problem with the itinerary or something like that? And he said, no, like the walls in the in the hotel that we were staying at, it was like the, I don't know who built the thing, but there, it was all kind of off kilter and, and you know, I was, I was sitting there on my bed and I was looking at the door frame and looking at the wall and I thought that, that's not parallel at all. And that's what he'd taken from his trip to <laughs> Orange for his granddaughter's 21st birthday. And... Um, he had a profound gift for for finding um, for finding faults, and that can become us if we actually don't take the habit of stopping and thanking God for all of the wonderful things in our life. Now, I understand some of us have very, very hard times, really hard days. This is the day that the Lord has made. If it's a really bad day, if it's a day of tragedy, does it stop being a day that the Lord has made? No, it doesn't. Whatever the day holds, it's a day that the Lord has made the good, the bad, and we can be glad for it. We can, we can rejoice in God in the midst of all of it, even when life is tough. The reason that we choose to do that is because when we thank God for all of it, not just the good, but for all of it, what we're actually doing is that we're giving him dominion over it. That's what we do when we thank, when we thank him for things. We're acknowledging the fact that all of it is his, and that's incredibly important for creating the kind of world that we want to live in. You know, we heard this week in the news the amazing story about Cleo Smith in Western Australia who is discovered, um, this girl who had gone missing. I'm sure you've all heard about the story from a campsite and she had been discovered. And uh, I was looking at the one of the news videos um, about it on YouTube. One of the top comments or one, one of the main comments that I saw was someone saying, thank you, Jesus, for bringing back this little girl to her parents. And then the comment, the first comment underneath that was someone else saying, Jesus didn't rescue the kid, the Western Australian police did. Now, that's an interesting um, theological conundrum, which I'm not going to unpack in detail, but it does present there, you know, on face value, um, a contrast in ways of looking at things. Of course, the Western Australian police have done an amazing job in, in um, rescuing that kid. That's absolutely true. But that's not to say that that means that God hasn't had a hand, that God isn't able to be praised for that victory. Now, I know nothing about, you know, the faith of that family or of, a, of the police involved or anything like that. That's not the point. But it got me thinking because they could choose to go, okay, we'll take God out of the picture and we'll, and we'll just bring it right down to the police and say this is just a completely human effort. And that might seem fine for today. But what about tomorrow? And what about moving forward? Because we know that there is a rescue that's happened here, but there's a whole lot more inner healing that's going to need to happen for Cleo, for her parents, for a number of other people involved in that community. And that sort of deep healing 
can only happen when we choose to give God dominion over our lives. So when we actually choose to take to say, you know, in those moments, God, I give, I give thanks to you in the good, in the bad. In the moments when I wake up and I still haven't found my child and on the days when I've woken up and the child has been returned, in all of it, I thank God because in the long term, I want to live in the kind of universe where God has dominion over all. Our amount of thankfulness determines the kind of universe that we choose to dwell in. And then, of course, the grand scheme of that, you know, this verse from Psalm 118 that I'm reading to you, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. A lot of Christians will know the catchy tune that goes along with that verse. But you might not realize the context that that verse comes in. In verse 22, it says, The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We can rejoice in the midst of all of it because we know that ultimately Jesus has overcome death. We know the ending of the story and the ending of the story is a good one. So no matter what we might be facing today, we can rejoice because we know the big picture. We know that the stone that the builders rejected, which is Jesus, by the way, has now become the cornerstone. And, uh, and so we can rejoice through it all because the ultimate victory has already been won. So let's take a moment in thanksgiving to thank God for the good, for the bad, for the ugly, and to trust that he has dominion over all of it. And so we come to the final uh, letter now, S, which stands for supplication. And supplication is just a fancy word for sincerely asking somebody for something. So when we come in supplication, we're coming to God with our needs. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's so important that we have supplication last in this acronym of ACTS, ACTS. It's important that supplication comes last. And, and, and not because making our requests known to God is the least important of the four. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that that when we put it after those other three, the way in which we bring forward our request to God are profoundly transformed after going through that process. When we come to God in adoration, in confession, in thanksgiving, then we'll, we'll find that the way in which we bring our needs to him is profoundly transformed. When we recognize that God is both caring and in control, which we do when we come in adoration, it changes our, our, our coming forward in supplication from being like a bargaining with a bureaucrat. You know, have you ever had like a parking fine and you're, you're trying to send these ridiculous emails to sort of say, oh, well, well this is the context and I got the app, but it could, didn't work or, uh, you know, it's, it changes from being like that and it becomes a conversation with a, a loving father where, where we, we recognise that he actually understands what's best for us and we, 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 we talk it out in that context. When we pray from a posture of confession, we recognise that our needs are oftentimes just as internal as they are external. Our default can be to come to God with all of the problems out there, with this person who we wish would change, with this situation that which, which, which we wish would change. And, and those things are valid, but often they need to be put in the context of the fact that God actually has just as much work that he needs to do in us as he does outside of us. And often we don't recognise that until we take the moment in confession to sit down and take a look at our true selves in the presence of God. 
And, uh, and after we've come to God in a point of thanksgiving, then we're able to pray with faith. When you actually look back in thanksgiving at the things that God has done in the past and you can see victory, then we're emboldened to come before to our requests in faith. You know, the power of praying, bringing our needs before God in faith rather than it being like just a last-ditch effort, kind of like, oh, well, you know, I'll give it a go or, you know, I'll throw the coin in and see what happens. Instead of it being like that, if we come with thanksgiving and actually look back, you know, taking the time right through the Bible, the importance of taking the time to look back at all that God has done in the past, it actually builds up our faith so that we can bring our requests before him boldly, um, knowing that he knows what's best and that he has the power to bring about real change. So we're going to finish now with a prayer from Reinhold Neighbor called the Serenity Prayer, which some of you will recognize. The words are going to come up on the screen, and I would love you to read along with me and to pray this prayer sincerely to God. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may enjoy you in this life and forever in the next. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Take some time now to consider what really stood out to you in that message. God has been speaking to you. And what is it that he said to you? If you're in the room with someone else, turn and share with them what stood out to you. And I say to them, how can I pray for you? Share with them something that you love about God and something that you're thankful for this week. Or phone someone and ask them those questions. What do you love about God? What are you thankful for this week? And how can I pray for you? Bless you and have a great week.